Hello folks, welcome to Decoded by Thredo. Uh, I am your host Sharad. Today I have an exciting guest who I met in real life last week. I had an opportunity to like hang out with her uh, and talk about a lot of things when we both were at the Support Driven uh, Leadership Summit. Uh, without further ado, Hilary, welcome to the show. How are you feeling? Thank you so much for having me. I'm feeling good. I think I'm still riding the high from the Leadership Summit. It was so nice to see old friends in person again, but also make new friends like you and just hang out and just sort of immerse yourself in customer support for three days. So yes, uh, still feeling yes. that good energy. Yes. Yeah. Don't we all, I think we all have that still the energy is contagious. I think one thing I really observed about support driven, uh, the whole community is everybody's damn helpful. They just want to help you. They just want yeah you to win so that that energy is really like something you know that i carried as well from that conference uh but for folks who doesn't know hillary let me give you guys like a brief intro she's a singer turned support leader yes uh, <laughs> on, <laughs> and she has tons of experience like 10 years plus experience she was a senior director of support at uh, at this company called sana she's in advisory roles right now at partner hero hero amiable by the way, speaking about Partner Hero, uh, I interviewed Greg on the show uh, like two weeks ago. So nice. big shout out to him uh, as well. And Hillary, about Hillary, coming back to Hillary, she did like uh, leadership roles at you know in companies like Gluco, Handshake. I can go on and on. And she did this phenomenal uh, keynote on uh, during our support you know driven conference about leadership managing support teams which i we will like you know take a dy a little bit but right off the bat how are you enjoying your your uh role as a support leader versus being a singer talk to me about like a little bit about that uh, before <laughs> we go into the heavy heavy hitting stuff well, it's okay. So I majored in vocal performance in college, and that's actually where I met my husband, who is a professional percussionist as well. So wow. very musically inclined. We met freshman year of music theory, which was adorable. Um, <laughs> but I think no matter what branch of the arts you're in, whether it is music or an instrument or music ed or, or something else, anything aligned with the arts really sets you up for success in customer support, mm. I think, in a way that folks don't always realize. I'm used to being on stage. I'm not shy. Uh, I may mm. not always know what to say, but I'm not I'm not afraid to like step on the stage and have the spotlight on me, whether that's right. talking to a customer or delivering a keynote. Um, I'm open to, to communicating and collaborating clearly in that way. Mm. Um, mm. And I think also, too, there's such collaboration that is needed when you are a musician, whether that's within your peers in an orchestra mm. or working as a singer with your band. Um, mm. There's a lot of collaboration that goes into that as well. And I think that really is also super awesome for folks that are entering support. So for folks that are thinking about it, don't be afraid to do that just because your background might be a non-traditional background. You absolutely right. have skill sets. That's amazing. I think, you know, that's a great way to start this uh, podcast because uh, in a way, what you're saying is you can seek a lot of intangible uh, skills from your previous experience. You don't have to necessarily. I think someone joked about this in the conference as well. There is no school for support. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So you basically have to dig into your past experiences about, like you said, in your 
role as a singer, you know, that collaborative uh, mindset or uh, having that, uh, you know, yeah. not shy type of a way of expressing <laughs> yourself and yes. having that uh, approachable, uh, you know, uh, persona it really helped you. I think, you know, that's a great takeaway. I think that's amazing. I did not many people realize that. Uh, Let's, let's talk too, about, right? I, I know we want to yeah. move on to the questions too, but I would remiss if I, if I didn't mention yeah. empathy too. I mean, I think anyone who is artistic is naturally probably very sensitive and possibly mm. an empath as well. And so being able to tune into your audience and the feelings of your customer or your peers mm. or whoever, um, mm. I mean, I think everyone in the arts has empathy to a certain extent. So and sorry. Let, let, let's take a deep dive about that. I love that. I particularly love uh, anything that, that explains that intangibility, right? Let's talk about a little bit more about the the skills that you can either acquire as a support leader or you can really like learn from others. So what are some skills that you've learned uh, in your experience as a support leader, even before, before entering into support? What were some things that you still carry to this day that you want to share with others? Yeah. I think one of the ones that stand out to me were from my time at the Townsend Hotel, which is a very small boutique hotel in Michigan in a very affluent part of the city. Mm. Uh, we had a lot of high-end clientele because we were located next to um, sports arenas and next to performance arenas. So we got a lot of rock stars and a lot of like sports teams that stayed with us. Nice. And uh, I worked at the front desk and the general manager there bless him. He was so sweet and patient with me. He was very experienced in his career and he coached me so much on communication. So we had a log book where we would hand off one shift to the next. Okay. You know, there's issues with room 137, make sure that engineering fixes this, you know, plumbing issue, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and I was very passionate about <laughs> my mm. notes, uh, and, included a lot of descriptive words that were really just subjective. They were my feelings on the subject. Mm -hmm. This guest is obnoxious or whatever the case may be. Um, and he really coached me on fine tuning that to make it objective. Um, so mm -hmm. using, you know, if I did need to talk about myself, if I was involved in a situation, making sure that I was using I statements, but otherwise keeping it very subjective or very objective, very much mm -hmm. focused on the facts of what happened. Um, and that's a skill that can benefit anybody being able to turn on mm. that objective lens. And so that was some big learning right. that I took from that role. And that was mm. before customer support. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you've briefly touched about coaching and you've elaborated a lot during the, the keynote as well, mm -hmm. uh, especially coaching versus directing. Those two yes. are very different. Uh, talk to me about uh, what's a, what's the difference in your opinion and uh, what are some coaching strategies that you advise, you, you know, to young uh, support leaders who are okay. just getting started or folks who have a ton of experience, but they can really uh, amp up their skill set as a leader? Yeah, yeah. So I did touch on this in my keynote. So thank you for bringing that around. Uh, but coaching and directing in a nutshell, coaching, I feel like is the more roundabout way to get someone to the same conclusion. Um, and directing yeah. is really what what it indicates, which is just telling them what to do and directing mm -hmm. them. Um, they both have their use cases. I mean, 
you know, going back to the hotel, for example, as a, as a non-support example, uh, there sure. are often cases where I needed someone to tell me, okay, here's our protocol for when X situation happens and here's what you need right. to do. That's often very important for folks to know. Um, but once you understand those parameters given through directives, then you can right. sort of take a more coaching aspect or a more, you know, you know where you can like press and where you can't. Um, mm. So coaching is asking those leading questions to get people mm. thinking creatively, create, create words creatively, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and really sort of guiding them onto the right track. And so mm. I think it's important to be able to do this. And it's certainly a difficult skill. So don't beat yourself up. I'm not perfect at it. I don't think anybody is, but mm-hmm. being able to just sit back and say, okay, well, one of the questions I like to ask people, what would you do if I wasn't here? If I was on mm. PTO, what would you do? This decision mm. is yours. And so kind of getting them thinking about a solution and then talking through the impact and maybe the pros and cons. Mm. Um, yeah. So start to start to challenge folks. It's so easy in the moment, especially as a support leader, the cues are on fire. Everything's on yeah. fire. Things are changing rapidly. It's so easy to just shout out or, you know, bark out directives to Absolutely. folks. You know the answers. Maybe you've been around for a while. You've been there for three, four years. You have this legacy knowledge. But whenever you can, take the moment to step back and take the time to coach them through it. Because then you'll build and develop leaders that can do what you're doing one day. And I mean, the goal is to scale yourself out of a job and get to that next level, right? So (laughs) you want folks to be able to do that. Coaching is in a way, I think, is a a long-term play. Uh, It's not a shortcut. It takes a lot of time. And the other way, which you said, either reacting, uh, coaching is responding. Uh, anything else is kind of reacting, which is a shortcut. Yes. Uh, and it usually shortcuts never work in, in every part, <laughs> every aspect of life. And when it comes to, you said about very interestingly about asking questions, taking a step back, you know, again, responding in a very calm, mindful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some questions that, people should really, really focus on like when, when they, like you said, when there is like a, like a conflict about either support uh, agents are not doing their best or let's take, uh, they're getting overwhelmed, for example, or Mm -hmm. they don't have the right answers. They're they're misguiding customers, which eventually end up in CSAT and whatnot. How do you uh, advise when it comes to coaching, support leaders, you know, support leaders should focus on. The, are there any templatized questions that people should ask, or they shouldn't miss? Let me frame it this way: that they shouldn't miss. I think I don't have a specific like magic question, but I think any questions that get to the heart of why. So you kind of touched on agents that are maybe not performing well. What is the why behind that? Isn't a knowledge gap? That might not mm. be their fault. That might be a documentation issue on your company's part. Um, mm. Do they not have the tools that they need to succeed and hit their metrics? That could be mm. on your plate. <laughs> that could be mm. on you. Um, you know, is there something going on in their home or in their personal life that might be impacting how they show up to work? And what can you do to help support them in that? So I think mm. getting to the why is the most important. So if you keep that in mind then your, t- your questions will be tailored to that specific situation. Mm. And I think 
like I mentioned in my talk too, just remaining fallible and open and curious. Like don't accuse them right away. Don't just jump in harshly and come at them. But just ask these questions out of curiosity. Worst case, you're going to learn more about them, which is also great for building your relationship. Um, And best case, you learn a whole whole bunch more that really changes your perspective and maybe any solutions that you might have in your mind. Right. It's, it's almost feels like parenting, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, all, all, all of your agents are your, uh, your kids growing up, uh, especially the ones who just entered into the arena. They just, they just don't know uh, where the resources are or, or, or the answers. Mm-hmm. And I think offering help, you know, changes in a big way. You set an expectation that you're welcome, um, to hear right like you know to whatever it is and like you said you know there's an empathy bit that managers and support leaders should really hone into uh, when it comes to tools you said about offering tools and um, and you you're working with partner here as an you know as a advisor and greg's a great guy he he recommended so many tools uh, in your opinion what are some tools that agents and managers uh the the gap the bridge between them the tools can fill in and this kind of eliminate that gap yeah i think some of the tools are simple going back to my talk um documenting how you operate as a manager um and keeping that in a working living doc with you and your direct so that you can both share um and remember and reiterate on okay, here's my expectations. I'm going to default to coaching you in these situations. I'm going to direct you in these. Um, Please know you can speak up if you want me to change my approach. Um, I expect the work to get done your way. I'm just outcomes focused, or maybe you're not outcomes focused. And, you know, laying out all those expectations is such a simple thing. And it all it requires is like a doc, Google Mm -hmm. doc. It's or a note. Um, so that in your one-on-one doc, those are the two most important and those are the two simplest. Um, but then in terms of other tooling, I mean, it really depends on what you're trying to do as an internal knowledge base. I've loved using guru in the past for that. Um, are Mm -hmm. you looking to implement some sort of AI such as Threado? Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many tools out there depending on your needs. Mm. Any, 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 uh, favorite tools of yours that come to your mind, um, I'm just curious because I think there yeah. are a ton. I, I I just want to see like you know what what are your favorites that you want to plug during the conversation. So yeah, uh, I mean some of the basics are my favorite Slack. I can't imagine like not communicating in Slack. <laughs> um, there right. are definitely jokes about Microsoft Teams and the horror that oh, is Microsoft sure. Teams during uh, the summit. So definitely want to stay away from that. Uh, but no, I I love using G Suite. I love using Slack to communicate. Um, right. I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of memo writing as well to communicate so that folks can you know comment async and then you can iterate several times before you get to mm. the place where you're having a meeting about it. Um, mm. Guru internal knowledge base is great. I will say I've also used Zendesk's um, internal knowledge base component as well. So we had an external, mm. but then also an internal. That was actually mm. pretty helpful as well. It just wasn't as um, easily plugged into things as Guru was. Mm. Um, in terms of CRMs, um, Zendesk is probably the one that I'm absolutely hands down the most familiar with. Pros and the cons. It's a very powerful tool. But mm. I'm seeing some interesting ones um, come out. Um, so, for example, at Summit, 
as you know, we had DevRev mm-hmm. there and I was very yeah. intrigued. I know very little about them, but I would love to learn more. Um, I think mm. that, I think there's a severe lack in bridging the gap between all the data that support teams sit on because we sit on mountains of data and the prod inch teams that are trying to build things in the way that like supports your customers and your customers needs. And there's such a gap between those. So I'm very intrigued by, you know, integrations between tools like Jira and Zendesk, Mm. for example, but also tools like DevRev that potentially might just be natively bridging that gap. Awesome. Interesting. Uh, yeah, they're they're amazing, you know, set of folks. Uh, definitely doing incredible work in support. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the operation side of uh, you know support leaders. So, what are some no-brainer operations uh, strategies that come to your mind that uh, people often miss, like you know, or they sh- they imperfect it, you know, not knowingly. Ooh, like on the support side of things. Yeah, support side of things. Uh, processes for escalations, whatever that looks like for your company. Um, I think too often, especially in early stage startups, everyone's moving super fast. And there's usually those one or two people that have been there since the beginning, since the conception of the company and carry all this legacy knowledge. And I think it's too easy to become just ping so-and-so. They'll tell you. Um, (laughs) So getting the knowledge out of those folks' heads. So using a tool to document those, but then also building a process for folks to, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're swarming or if you have a tiering system or specialized support teams, but you should think very hard and long about that functionality, I think sooner rather than later and start building Mm -hmm. it out according to your business needs and your customer needs. And I think that's Mm -hmm. easily overlooked in startups because it's Mm -hmm. typically a team of like two or three people in the queue and they're all just kind of working together. but at least having that in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And-, and then obviously like looking into the tools that support that. So right. for example, if you know you're using a very basic CRM and it doesn't have a lot of functionality, but you know, within the next 12 months, you want to get to a place where you have two specialized support teams and, you know, maybe customer success is asking to be in that CRM too. They want to run their, their business out of there. Right. You should probably start looking into a different CRM sooner rather than mm. later, rather than waiting mm. till that moment. Mm. Interesting. And uh, when it comes to CSAT scores, you have a history of in your experience, like, you know, raising the bars, like mm-hmm. uh, raising the standards. So what should uh, two kind of like sub questions, what should a support leader should do to raise the standard about CSAT scores, A, uh, from a leadership standpoint. Mm-hmm. And what are some things that agents, like people who are, you know, for, on the ground, they should do to ensure that that CSAT score is really important for them. You know, that's their level of success in a way, right? So yeah, uh, sub two sub questions, like, in your opinion, what should like, you know, both of these personas should do? Well, I mean, I don't know, after that closing talk at Summit, <laughs> your metrics are bullshit. Now I'm like questioning everything I know about metrics. No. (laughs) Um, There's some important points raised there. I mean, I think support leaders do game the CSAT system. I mean, I definitely have a no CSAT tag built in Zendesk that folks can Mm -hmm. use. Um, But no, I think from a support leader's perspective, it's important to keep in mind that the CSAT is just one data point. 
and it's skewed based on the customer. It's literally coming directly from the customer and it's not always reflective of the level of support Mm. that they received. Right, right. We have seen so many product, you know, related comments. Why is this broken? Why is it doing this way? Um, In my most recent role at Sana Benefits, that was a healthcare company. And so there are often things that were outside of our control as far as coverage, plane coverage. Mm -hmm. You know, so why isn't my colonoscopy covered at 100%? You know, I'm going to rate this bad. It wasn't the Mm -hmm. agent's fault, you know. So Mm -hmm. as a leader, make sure that you're keeping that in mind and that you're taking it basically with a grain of salt and relying on other data too. So for example, QA, I think is a great score to boost Mm. the CSAT and sort of give you a more realistic uh, view. From the agent perspective, I think the same thing. Keep it in mind. Don't take it personally. I've seen some agents take their CSAT scores incredibly personally. And I do think it should be a point of pride for you. It's incredibly... I mean, it's an incredible feat to have, you know, a 90 plus CSAT score. So I don't want to downplay that. But at the same time, you know, it's, it is a reflection of the customer base that you're serving. For example, we often see in like T3 or the highest level, highest escalation point of customer support. Those folks are often taking fewer tickets because they're more complex and they're typically rated poorly more often because it's Mm -hmm. such a high escalation point. So I think those are some mm. of the things you have to keep in mind as well. Mm. Mm, for sure. Uh, definitely, Nick messed up everybody's mind. He uh, did. <laughs> he did. He made a very compelling points when it comes to numbers. And even like, you know, I'm new to support, but even it made me think like, you know what? You shouldn't overthink about uh, some of these numbers that are that are forgotten eventually in the long run, right? So I think... I love his talk about, you know, focusing on building relationship rather than stressing out yourself on the numbers. Yes. Yes. And keep iterating on them because they won't always continue to serve you over time. Right. And so that's something that I've done in all the support teams that I've built. We have one set of metrics when we first get started, but I evaluate those pretty much on a yearly basis. And I would say I change them probably every two, three years. Hmm. At some point, it doesn't become effective, for example, to measure phone adherence. Maybe in the beginning it was when you first rolled out your workforce management tool and you had to get folks used to, you know, hitting a certain level of adherence to their phone schedules. But maybe two years down the line, everyone's comfy, everyone's doing well, and that's really not effective. And you might want to look at occupancy instead, what they're doing with that time um, instead of adherence. So being flexible and, and changing those. My QA score goals, for example, also evolved over time. For a while, it was just 80% you wanted them to hit. They were consistently hitting 85. So I changed it. I'm like, you're already doing this. Let's just change it to 85. And then the team like just kept leveling up and they were naturally hitting about 90, 92%. All right, let's, let's change the metric again. Like y'all are setting mm-hmm. the bar high. I'm going to support this. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Let's go back to, I think I forgot to ask this question when you were, when you were talking about operations, you also have a track record of uh, how to reduce operational costs, right? So what are some strategies that you've implemented that really worked well that you want to share with us, you know, for listeners? Yeah, uh, for operational optimization. How to reduce operational costs? What are the effective ways without, you know, hurting the team? Yeah. Yeah, because there's certainly ways to do it where it can hurt the team or you might be 
constrained by, you know, your prod inch teams if they don't have the bandwidth or the resources to support you <laughs> with the tooling or product mm -hmm. fixes that you need. You have to look elsewhere. Um, but mm -hmm. I think you should be looking elsewhere anyways, because there's so many things that can fall under your purview and are fairly easy to change depending on what they are. Mm -hmm. So what I did, what worked really well for me was creating a task tracker. Um, it was a Google, sh uh, yeah, it was a, an Excel sheet. And um, I laid it out very clearly to the team. And I was just like, basically like, list out all this manual stuff that you do every single day. You probably roll your eyes at it. And it can mm. be, you know, as simple as, when I'm looking for a customer name inside our product, I can't mm -hmm. sort the page. <laughs> uh, or it could be something more complex, like I need to go through three different tools in order to find the answer for a customer. Or, you know, this process is broken. Whatever it is that takes time out of your day. And then how often is it happening daily? How many times per week? Uh, what is the level of difficulty? Like I asked a few more, you know, put a few more columns in this tracker. And then... Mm -hmm. I opened it up to everybody on the team, both my internal team as well as my BPO, which was partner mm. hero. I wanted insight from everybody. After I got those, I sorted them and did some analysis. So I sorted them into things that would require a product fix versus those that were operational and that I could make changes towards. Mm. And then, um, you know, really broke down them down into levels of impact based on the time that was being spent. Okay, mm. like we can achieve, you know, our 20% cost to serve reduction if we knock out these four things operationally and maybe just these two things product wise. Mm -hmm. And then I pull in all my collaborators. I pull in my my product teams and my design teams and my eng and have those conversations or you know marketing. Um, marketing was often a big factor for some of the changes I made on the operational side. Um, mm. Get everyone on board and make a plan and you know mm. roll it up under your your objectives and key results for the quarter. Mm, that's that's a very streamlined way i would say you know you have a you have a set of things that you know a checklist that you you have to take care of uh you also have like you know some when i was doing research on on your profile uh you had a ton of experience in handling remote teams you know especially offshore uh mm -hmm. teams so as a support leader what are some things that you advise uh you know when they when they operate these you know distributed teams across the world uh, how to keep up what are some you know struggles that you know people can avoid easily uh, without again going back to the reactive mode versus responding mode uh, what what advice do you give for people who are handling remote teams yeah i think calling out pot potential risks um even before they happen I, i'm not mm. saying that i have easy solutions for all of these but there's the potential for, you know, trust and collaboration breaking down when you have highly distributed global teams, for example, maybe you're following the sun um, as far as 24-7 mm -hmm. support, so no one's ever all in the same place at the same time. Uh, mm -hmm. For me personally, working with a BPO that was both onshore and offshore and trying to maintain right. trust between that BPO and my internal team. Um, right. But I think call out those risks first and foremost, because folks might have ideas on how to fix mm -hmm. it. But you're at least putting it, you know, calling out the elephant in the room. Like, this could be an issue. Um, mm. In terms of, like, supporting your fully distributed teams, be an advocate to leadership. Be an advocate for those resources. 
maybe that's an on-site once a year just for the support team, or maybe you, you know, mm. build out a specialized on-site on top of your company on-site. That's just for support right. folks. Um, right. making sure that you're doing, you know, maybe holiday celebrations together or just once a month mm. hangouts. I was a big fan of, um, you know, remote like happy hours basically where you can bring your own beverage and talk about anything except for work in a zoom right. uh right. things like that um yeah. but i i have seen some interesting posts just on that particular subject um i have seen interesting posts on linkedin that also indicate that folks are burnt out and maybe don't want forced mm -hmm. social time <laughs> right, so right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. what i'm saying i guess is there's no perfect answer and it's going to depend on the culture of your team and your company but making right. sure they're advocating for those resources. It's easier when you work with a fully remote um, company, which is what mm -hmm. I try to do. I want some mm -hmm. companies that are remote first. Mm. Well, like Handshake, I don't know if they've changed, but when I was first with them, I always said they were remote friendly, but they were not mm. remote first. They had offices in San Francisco, and I think now oh, they have them in the UK as well. That oh. hybrid mix is really challenging to work with, especially right. when your entire support yeah. team is remote. Right, right. It almost feels like what you're suggesting is uh, you should run a survey just like you run surveys with your customers uh, okay. and internally with your teams as well. So you'll know where people are, what they're doing, you know, how are they feeling. Uh, and yes. that, that heat check is always important. So, uh, yeah, that's a great tip. And let's switch so is, a little bit. So yeah, is your tip ahead. about the employee satisfaction or the ESAT? The e versus CSAT. Mm. That's a great one. If you have an HR team in place in your company, typically they're already doing pull surveys and some sort of you know survey. Right. Have them build you one just for your support team. Do it quarterly and measure that happiness over time. And right. I would do postmortems afterwards with them to like understand mm. more. Yeah, it's a great, great call out. Yeah. So talk to me about hiring. Like, You've have an, you're an expert in hiring and you've advised many, uh, you know, support leaders about hiring when it comes to building their teams, up, upsizing or downsizing, like either ways. Uh, what advice do you give for uh, people to look in, uh, support leaders to look into uh, agents when they hire, you know, damn good agents, say, for example? Yeah. So I think the number one thing that I look for is compassion when I'm hiring for a support role. Um, I used to say empathy. Uh, for the response here, but I've actually sort of adapted over time to saying compassion. And the reason for that is right. I found that folks that are too empathetic, uh, that don't have the ability to sort of, you know, protect their own energy and protect their own boundaries, often get burnt out very, very quickly in the role and suffer because they are taking on the customer's pain, um, especially if it's in a more sensitive industry like healthcare. Um, right. so what I've started to screen for is compassion instead, folks that genuinely still do care, that genuinely want to help, but perhaps have better boundaries in place when it comes to protecting themselves and, and recognizing, right. you know, at the end of the day, this is a job. For sure. For sure. And, uh, in what are some mistakes that you see when people hire their agents, like, or in, in put it another way. What are some mistakes that people should avoid when they hire uh, agents? That's a good question. Aside from the, the, you know, obviously if they're lacking in compassion or empathy, it's probably not a good fit for you. Um, 
But I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see folks make is not taking a chance on those that have like a non-typical background. For example, musicians, artists, teachers make really great support agents. Uh, They're typically used to hustling. I mean, teachers in the U.S. don't make any money. Um, If you've ever been a music student, you know that the days are incredibly long. Your class credits are typically half of what you would have for a gen ed. So you're doing double the work for less credits. And it really instills this hustle mentality in folks. And so I think that's a huge mistake that I see people making is, oh, they don't have a tech background. They can't code. They can't do X, Y, and Z. You can teach them this on the job. If they're resilient, if they're gritty, if they're hungry, they'll learn. Look at your teachers. Look at your artists. These folks often can explain difficult concepts in numerous ways, too. Which you want on your support team. One, you know, uh, one response may not make sense to a customer and you may have to explain it three different ways before they understand it. So that is, I think, the number one issue that I see folks making. Mm, that's very interesting. And I think by encouraging different backgrounds, you're also encouraging different perspectives, right? Like uh, everybody, you know, gains their own experience doing, you know, these roles and they play a different role uh in their careers like in the past and i feel having that diversity uh angle you know with different different experiences you know coming to the table that adds a lot of uh value in my opinion as well uh in yes and in 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 other words uh if you were to hire like you know or if you were to build a team from scratch mm-hmm. uh what is what is like a checklist Hillary would you know maintain or write like you know cut off like these are the things that they must do uh, do you have like a process flow when you when it comes to hiring oh as far as like the actual hiring process like the interviewing and the setup of yeah, like the, the panel like you know yeah you know how what what are the what are some different questions you would ask uh, you know by by you know, checking their caliber, like you said, different, different experiences. How yeah. do you kind of, you know, see a fit from a musician to a teacher to like, you know, a support leader? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I always ask behavioral questions. Um, so I'm going to ask, you know, tell me about a time when you were under pressure at work. What was the situation? What did you learn? What was the outcome? Uh, tell me about a time when you had a goal and you actually did not reach the goal. Um, mm, what was That's a good one. What happened? What did you learn? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to give away all my my questions, but uh, I like to ask behavioral ones. I like to ask, you know, a few more personal ones just to get to know them. Like, it's right. been a stressful day at work. Afterwards, like, what brings you joy? What are you irrationally passionate about? What what makes you happy? Um, yeah, and I like to pepper it in with some some spicy questions as well. I will say, most of my questions can be found on the first round review. Uh, mm. it, first round is obviously VC firm, uh, but they have mm. an excellent blog with excellent articles and they have a lot of great interview questions. So I recommend checking mm. those out. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, first round, they, they do an amazing job. I think they turned 10 years very recently. Uh, you know, it's been mm-hmm. 10 years. Uh, another question in, in regards to like hiring, oh, what was that? Damn. Uh, we were talking about like you know building from ground up. Yeah. Uh, do you, yeah. So do you do like any 
uh, exercises with with the agents uh, when it comes to like do you do you give like any you know scenarios or role play how do they respond like you know is that like a thing that you do and you suggest other other leaders as well yeah i i do do that and i think it gives folks a good sense of how strong their written communication is because you're mm-hmm. you know if you're privileged enough to have a recruiter working for you you're not going to see how these folks are you know corresponding necessarily unless the recruiter shares that with you um which recruiters please do share those types of things with us i had an awesome recruiter in a pastoral that did share like hey <laughs> Just so you know, some of these emails are really poorly uh, spelled and like formatted, just an FYI. But um, yes, I do do a take-home case study for folks that are interviewing for an agent role. Um, It's typically, I try to keep it simple. I don't want them to invest a ton of time. I just want to get a sense of their problem solving and their critical Mm -hmm. thinking, as well as their written communication. How can they convey that? So it's typically just a couple of questions that my support team is already getting. So Got it. Got it. And also one of the things you're really good at uh, is uh, handling remote teams. Yes. Uh, and given in an in a age where pretty much everything is remote, I know we're going back to offices and all, but uh, especially in support, it's really hard to bring everybody together under one, you know, umbrella. Mm-hmm. So, so support's been always like remote, you know, in a way like that, you know, agents are always distributed. Uh, in one way or the other. So what are some tips that you can offer uh, listeners about handling remote teams? Yeah, it definitely helps if you are also remote. Um, The biggest struggles that I have seen have come from managers that are sitting in an office or in the headquarters trying to manage teams that are remote. It just doesn't, Mm. you just don't have that same level of empathy and compassion if you Mm -hmm. haven't lived that experience. Um, So try doing it yourself if you're a manager. In office with a remote team. Um, so living the experience, but then also I think just it re- you rely much heavily on written communication or recorded audio communication, for example, voice memos, voice recordings, things like that. Um, so just making sure that you're using all the communication tools that are in your tool belt, whether that's Slack or Guru for internal documentation, making sure that you're getting your team together regularly for weekly standups, monthly team huddles, um, maybe some fun things in there too, happy hours. I know, I know folks are a little conflicted on that because forced social, socialization is also not very fun. Um, but it, I think it kind of depends on the culture of your team too. Some folks, especially in smaller teams, if you have four to six folks, they're probably already super tight knit and very close. And they probably are already hanging out in like, you know, Zoom or Teams just chatting during the day, which is excellent. So just finding ways to facilitate that and recognize them throughout the year. Use your some of your budget to either get folks together in person once in a while. Yeah. Um, I like to always use Customer Service Appreciation Week, which is the first week of October. Use that to send them some gifts, do some treats shut down support an hour early, do some little things to recognize those folks. Yeah, yeah. It's always like, you know, uh, whenever we make people uh, feel inclusive, I think that's the best team building, uh, mm-hmm. you know, strategy that there is, right? So I love the, you know, the subtle things as well uh, you mentioned. Uh, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. I feel like there are some, you know, a couple of more questions around 
efficiency. So one of the things that agents, uh, support leaders, they always, we always kind of, you know, crave about is how can we efficiently either close the tickets or, you know, uh, find the best answer for the customers, you know, and basically it's, it's all about speed and efficiency. So in, in your experience, uh, where are some areas that people stumble when it comes to efficiency and on the other side, where do they really excel? Like it, it feels like a no brainer for you to like, Oh, you know what, this is where people excel and this is where people stumble. I think most folks that come on as support agents genuinely, like they genuinely want to do a good job and they genuinely want to move quickly. Um, so I think most people have a natural drive for, efficiency that shouldn't be overlooked. I don't think there's a ton of people that want to take 14 steps to solve an issue that could be solved in two. Um, I think the biggest barrier to that is often either in the processes or in the tooling or both. Uh, so if your product has, I mean, I like to think of efficiency in different stages. And the first one is really prevention. And that is preventing the issue from happening in the first place in your product. So as a support leader, that's going to require a lot of cross-functional collaboration and communication with your product and your inch teams, making sure that that product is in a good spot. We're not getting these, these issues, especially the low-hanging fruit, you know, like let's just knock those out. Uh, the next level is deflection. So making sure that you're deflecting appropriately, whether that's building a little bit of friction into your chat model or it's making sure that your help center is incredibly up to date or making sure that your internal documentation is readily accessible and understandable. Um, you know, that's going to go a long way in deflecting. Mm. Lastly, <laughs> then you can look at your processes as well. You know, are we taking 10 steps to escalate to the next team or loop in a SME or you know, whatever the case is? Um, when it could be done in two, or maybe we connect the two tools together to optimize. Mm. Um, I think really looking at the processes um, can benefit in many ways and give you a lot of gains. And it's also super fun to do. I love that kind of work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we've covered pretty much everything uh, in terms of uh, leadership, you know, like I said, hiring, uh, managing support teams, what are the ways uh, where they can be efficient, you know, and in whatsoever, even collaboration, uh, we covered a lot. Any Anything that you want to add that, you know, that you're recently like kind of, these are the topics I get very excited about. I want to like, you know, spend five more minutes time on elaborating it. Hmm. I mean, processes always get me excited because I think there's always a better way to do things. Um, and sometimes that's as simple as dreaming up a perfect world situation, even though you know it may not happen right in that moment. At least having that as a North Star to work towards um, is always super fun. Uh, I'm just also super passionate about bringing folks together, kind of like we touched on remotely, and just building that collaboration and team mentality is really fun. And it's a fun challenge too, as teams scale, right? It's very easy to be close knit community of, you know, four to six folks early stage, but then right. maintaining that as you scale uh, right. is always a really fun challenge as well. Right. Love that. Uh, Hilary, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a blast. I think, you know, we've, we've covered so many things and I hope listeners get uh, a ton of value as well. And 
you know, I loved your talk on the leadership aspect uh, at ST, you know, event. Uh, but, uh, you know, stay tuned, folks. Like, we have, we have more support leaders like Hillary joining the show. And we, we talk about, we geek, I wouldn't say talk. We geek about, you know, how <laughs> support leaders can get better uh, with, you know, different frameworks, processes, you know, tools and whatnot. But uh, thanks, Hillary. Thanks for taking time today appreciate you that's part two guys for you uh but yeah stay tuned uh we have some awesome guests lined up and see you on the next episode cheers thank you